Okay, moving right along with Ephesians and still in Ephesians chapter 4. And today we continue with verses 1 to 6. Paul has spent three chapters trying to get us to see and understand grace. We have seen grace facts, grace propositions, grace realities of God, all of which lie way underneath every Christian. These are the things we stand on, chapters 1, 2, and 3. In fact, no one stands before God unless chapter 1, 2, and 3 are under them. Amen? So, chapters 1, 2, and 3, that is, you could say, our spiritual DNA for ourselves personally and in our spiritual blood together. We, It's transformed you and I and it's transformed you and I towards each other. Right? Personally, before God, I am forgiven of my trespasses, holy, blameless before Him. I have a new and living hope. I have been made alive in Christ. Amen. But also thank God for the book of Ephesians, because we also see that same grace has transformed us to each other. We are put into a body. Christ comes. He is our peace with God and with each other. We have love for all the saints. We're a new man. New body, new family, new church, never seen before until revealed to Paul, and now corporately before others. So this grace brings personal obligations and corporate obligations. I mean, people think all of the time that all that really matters is being transformed before God. That there is no corporate relationship with people in a body. That totally misses scripture. Totally. Or on the other end, people think what really matters is that we're a community, we love one another, and but I don't have to be transformed before God. That's not the message of scripture. God has designed your personal Christian life to be life inseparably lived with the body of Christ. That means that there is an impact on the body, on others, by the way you live. The more we live in the fullness of the Spirit and obedience to Jesus, the healthier the body. Right. So, and this is where Paul is turned in, in chapter 4. And as we read it now, you see the personal and the corporate obligations coming together. And he's very concerned. He's very concerned that you and I change as a result of these grace realities. But this transformation must occur so that our relationship to one another will do what? Show forth the new God-like unity which God has achieved on the cross. This is a means to a much greater end. So you can imagine the mountains of grace. Yes, yes, yes. Right? We use those mountains of grace to preserve a new God-like unity in the body. To be what you must be in Christ so that this body, its unity is preserved. Let's read together from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 6 again. 
As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So we continue with our title, Move in Unity Now. Right? Move in Unity Now. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we do want you to meet with us. God, you're the God of this word. Would you reveal yourself to us? Let us see who you are and what our personal obligations are before you so that we can see what impact that has on your body. Whatever wrong thinking about the Christian life, please forgive us and help us to turn away from that. Turn us away from focusing too much on personal transformation, personal growth and change. Help us to expand on that. To see that your word has so much more in mind. Help us, us, ABC, to be unified in such a way that it reflects the grace, that reflects all the grace realities, the grace propositions, the grace facts. May Christ be glorified and seen to be loved so much by each person here. We love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's just review last week quickly because we're still connected to these verses this morning. They're not unattached. And we, we basically called it the, the basics of our walk in Christ because Paul has used a very common metaphor in verse 1 when he says, Maybe your translation says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've received. Um, the NIV states, live worthy of the calling you have received. They mean the same thing, walk, live. And we were just drawing out that metaphor of walking because it's so different today. We don't have a walking culture today. Um, but going back to walking, uh, we... Ephesians chapter 2, we were walking, right? We were walking, we were living. And how was that walking? It was spiritual death. That's how we were walking before God. But, Ephesians 2 verse 10, we have been saved through faith, by grace, recreated in Christ and equipped in Christ to walk a new walk. What's the new walk? To walk in the good works He has prepared for us in advance. This, this is the new walk. And uh, we drew this out that any kind of walking requires effort. It's fundamental to walking, whether you're a baby, whether you've injured, or whether you're tired. It's going to require effort. We forget that walking takes effort. And some of us here this morning are, are Christian babies, and it's going to require effort to get walking. Some are suffering from, you know, it may be self-inflicted spiritual foolishness or the consequence of someone else's foolishness and your legs have been blown off and now you have to start all over again. And that's going to take effort, serious effort. Maybe you're just so tired and every step seems like an effort. But keep walking. It is going to require effort. Keep walking. It's going to take time when we walk. 
right? Our conversion to God is instantaneous, but our sanctification is a process. It's going to take time. And with effort and time, it's implied that there will be progress. There will be there will be progress. Yes, we can say we are in process, but then we must equally own that if we are in process, then we are making progress. And we see in verse 1 that Paul is, is it's an urgent thing. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. Get walking, he says. This really matters. It matters. Why? Because look at what God has done to get you up to this point. Look at the sacrifice of Jesus. This is what's gotten you up to this point. It's not a small thing. Now move. It's urgent. This is not the time now. You know, once saved, pray to be filled with the fullness of God. Pray for the glorious power, the strengthening of the inner man, to know Christ's love, to experience Christ's love, and now to unhook or to go into a Christian coma. No, this is the time now to move. Now. And now we continue today. And it's captured in the first phrase of verse 1. There's a commitment in this walk. Because the one encouraging the Ephesians to walk, he is a prisoner for the Lord. He is a prisoner for the Lord. This walk is a commitment. So it's like having someone who blew the whistle. He blew the whistle on a corrupt company employer he gets jailed he's in jail or he suffered some persecution and he's saying to you all right you're next walk do what i did go where i went all <laughs> right this is a sincere walk it's going to require commitment here he's a prisoner and the and the lord's work has put him in that place it's done that to him. And it's that guy that's urging us to walk. So there is no reason to think that your walk in the Lord is not going to cost. And there is no reason to, to believe that if you are paying a price for your walk, it is costing you in some way, all right, that you won't be comforted. Because what was Paul's mind? Ephesians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's what's on his mind. The comfort of what the grace truths, the grace propositions, the grace facts. That is what is front and center of his mind. He's a prisoner of Christ. Of that one, not a prisoner of Caesar, not a prisoner of the irate Jews. He's a prisoner of Christ, and that's a comfort to him, even though it's costing him. The comfort completely outweighs the cost. So take that home. There is going to be a cost, but the comfort will be greater. So this walk, this life in Christ requires effort. It requires time. It will imply progress. It is urgent. There will be a commitment. And then unpacking, still in verse 1, it says there, live a life Worthy of the calling you have received. Okay. Now, a manner worthy. It's one word in the Greek. And that word means bring the scales to balance. 
All right. What is you live balanced to your calling. What is the calling that you have received? Well, that's chapters one, two, and three. The grace propositions, the grace facts, the grace truths. All right. It's like a big dump truck dumped all that grace on the scale. Now you are to live the pulling the same weight, balancing the scales. That's what God has called you to do, is urging you to do. Live a life with that kind of weight. That kind of living should match that kind of grace. I mean, the Christian life should be the most excellent life lived anywhere on the earth. Paul is saying, I urge you, put weight with that calling. It must balance. I mean, wouldn't it be great to hear someone say to you that living that you are doing, I've never seen anything like it. What's it like? And what do you say? Ephesians chapter 1, 2 and 3. <laughs> That's, this is what God has done in my life. Pulling that weight, what's closely associated to balancing the scale of the grace that you've received? What is closely associated to it? Verse 2. Here it is. Out the blocks, balancing the weight of the graces you have received, be completely humble and gentle. Maybe your translation says, with all humility and all gentleness. What is closely associated to this walk? What is going to pull that weight? What is going to pack the punch? It's you walking, you living hmm, in all humility and all gentleness. Now these attitudes make no sense. They make no sense. They're not critical. They're not urgent. If you're just walking on your own without anyone interrupting your stride, they make no sense. They are critical and urgent and primary because our walk is with others. Maybe others who are babies. Maybe others who are injured. Maybe with others who are tired. Maybe with others who are very fast. Okay, but we're walking with others. And closely associated to pulling the weight of grace is an attitude of humbleness and gentleness. And implied in this that, friends, God is saying through Paul that this Christian walk is not going to be easy. It's going to be full of challenges, full of trials, full of annoyances, full of setbacks, full of slowdowns, maybe even a stop here and there when you really don't want to stop. But these attitudes are critical critical why because the greater end the greater end is preserving the unity of the spirit and when we're bumping into one another tripping over each other then showing tolerance and love and being diligent to preserve the unity of the bond of peace those are crucial movements and crucial calls Paul is just helping us to understand, hey, listen, open your eyes to what it means to be the body of Christ. We're going to step on toes, we're going to fall, and others might be tripped up. We might even trip other people up. We're going to get annoyed with the pace. 
all humility and all gentleness. It's going to require not 80%, not 60%, 100% humbleness. 100%. What, What is humility? A lowliness of mind towards yourself. It's a mind that is not lifted up high concerning itself. And that is completely countercultural. If you think of the original context where the Gentiles, Romans and Greeks, and the Jews had come from. They were not from contexts where they were thinking lowly estimations of themselves. This was a completely new gospel culture, a new Christian walk, a new believing in Christ way. Just two pages on in your Bible, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul is explaining to them the following. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, there's the grace propositions, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the Spirit, and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And what was Jesus' attitude? What was his mindset? Well, here it is, verse 6. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped after. In other words, I'm going to grab after my godness. I'm going to lift myself up. I'm going to demonstrate my greatness. No, he didn't do that. He was humble. Verse 7, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He made, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He emptied himself, the form of a slave, the likeness of man. He humbled himself, obedience to death. So humility was not a foreign concept to Jesus. It was the center of him. And it is the central characteristic of God and our Savior. Christ has paid our debt of arrogance. Christ has forgiven our arrogance. And he grants us a new heart of humility. And with this new heart, now we must live. Now we must live. At 100% capacity of Humility. The idea here is that as you walk in Christ and walk in His body, you walk in lowliness of mind concerning yourself. You are to think more highly, 
of the walk of others than you are of your own walk. So, so you must position yourself low so you can look up to see the strengths in other people's. You must be more concerned to see their progress in their walks than you are concerned about your own progress. And then pair it closely. Look at the relationship. Gentleness. Again, all gentleness. 100%. This is meekness. Hmm? It's controlling yourself when you've been mocked or mistreated or sinned against. Not to retaliate. It's, it's not retaliating towards someone who's done evil to you. I mean, that's probably the greatest expression of gentleness, is not retaliating. It's power under control. It's the power to restrain your desire for revenge or retaliation. And instead, expressing a gentleness, being a gentle disposition towards those. It's choosing to be mild when your flesh screams to you to be rough. Gentleness can't exist with an avenging attitude, a vindictive attitude, a self-defensiveness. It only exists in humility. And where does that come from? <laughs> Gentleness and humility comes from a master. Matthew 11, 28-30 Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. So when we rest under him, we find our souls furnished. Not just with humility, but also with gentleness. So, humility puts me in a position to control myself so that I don't lash out. There's the gentleness. And how long must we do this for? What does Ephesians say? With patience, right? With patience. So, a long time. It's an endurance. Think again of the original context of Paul, the Jews and the Gentiles who were walking in darkness. You know, before Jesus came, there was absolute hatred for each other, absolute enmity, enmity between them. Then God did an amazing thing, saving them through faith in Christ. And then he put the believing Jew and the believing Gentile, he didn't put them in back into the temple he didn't put them back in a synagogue. No, he's put them in a new church. A whole new thing. He put them together in relationship with himself and with each other to demonstrate now what the blood of Jesus has accomplished. That body is to display the unity that God achieved with the cross. And it must be preserved at all costs. So Ephesians 4, 1-6, this is it. This is the hope. This is the hope. Isn't this exactly this that strikes our hearts when we think of God? What do you think of God's humility towards you with His Son on the cross? Is there anything better? What do you think of His ability to control Himself, restrain Himself from His just retaliation? His deserved and eternal retaliation. What do you think of God's gentleness towards you? What do you think of God's ability to endure for a long time your rebelliousness? Do you know what we get when we embrace these attitudes of humility, gentleness and patience? We get the opportunity to remind those around us 
of the humility, the gentleness and patience of God. So think differently perhaps. Who should see God around me? Who needs to see this God around me? These attitudes are critical. They're not weak. They are strengths. And these attitudes are crucial. Why are they crucial? Not just to minimize conflict, but they're crucial to preserve the bond of peace. So as I close with a bit of application, there are some attitudes that we need to avoid when we're wronged. These attitudes do not create unity. In my own life, these attitudes are unity killers. When I see these attitudes in me, they only introduce separation between me and my God. And between me and my wife, my kids, my friends, even the church people. So look for these attitudes and examine yourself under the cross. I mean, that's the best place to examine yourself at the cross. Because there at the cross there's power to change, there's hope to be forgiven, there's comfort at the cross. Amen? Pride is the big one. Pride is a wrong attitude. The inability to control my responses when wronged. Impatience. I mean, all of them are pride. But these are exact opposites of what we've talked about. Humility is God's way. Pride, devil's way. Gentleness, God's way, or the inability to control yourself, the devil's way. Patience, God's way, or the devil's way, impatience. Those kill unity. What about the attitude of a sense of entitlement? You know, I deserve not to get stepped on. I deserve not to be inconvenienced by your walk. I mean, that kind of attitude will just make you annoyed with everyone. And that will just lead to resentment because people don't notice your entitlement and your patience is all but gone and gentleness goes with it. You will soon be the roughest person. Bitterness. Who wants to be around that? Who wants to be around me when I'm that? And when I'm that... I just want space. I just want space. No, friends, God's love is not provoked. 1 Corinthians 13. And that's the last attitude. Not being easily provoked. You know, making it unbearable for others who disagree with you. Making people feel they are disagreeing with God Almighty when they disagree with you. That's an obvious lack of humility. When I'm that way, people go to my kids and say, you know, give dad space, stay over there. It kills unity with friends, marriages, kids, and even church members. And Paul knew it. We need to walk now, and it needs to match everything God has called you to now. And this unity must be preserved now. Pull that weight. Humility. All humility. Gentleness. All gentleness with patience, with patience.
So we have a choice with people's walk. You can either join the chaos. I mean, that's easy. Or we can do what Jesus says in John 13. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the mark of a disciple. That's the core of a Christian. That is a person visited, rescued, and changed by grace. And may God help us. How is this achieved? That's outlined in Ephesians chapter 3. <laughs> we pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being. Step 1. That through Christ He may dwell in your hearts through faith. Step 2. That you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And then you would experience this love and that you will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And ascend the summit of glory. To know that at the top, God is waiting for more prayers, more thoughts, more hopes and more dreams. And may He get all the glory. Amen.